0: The EU has finally understood that different means might be appropriate in different cases. mere economic sanctions and incentives, in other words, sticks and carrots, might be inadequate to deal with specific challenges. That is why hard security and defense capabilities shall support such instruments. As a matter of fact, this is what the EU's degraded approach to modern international challenges denotes. It is the combination of all the available means that the EU has at its disposal. With this in mind, we must pay attention to the gradual development of a dense institutional spectrum in the EU security and defense sector. The creation of the European External Action Service, the European Security and Defense College, the European Defense Agency and the establishment of the permanent Structured cooperation and the European Defense Fund are valid proofs of this gradual development.
1: Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of the Diplomatic Academy, the conversation podcast. I am your host, Petros Petrikos, and this episode brings us to the more complex yet interesting dynamics within the European Union's defense structure. And for this very reason, I am excited to host someone researching this very topic, Mr. Andreas Theophilis. Andreas, it's a great pleasure to have you joining us for this episode.
0: Thanks, Petros, for inviting me and many congratulations for, on your effort. There is a need for information. Since the time we live seems challenging, at least.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And thank you so much for your kind words. Uh, before we begin, I'd like to share a few words about Andreas. Uh, Andreas Sophilis is a PhD researcher at the University of Peloponnese and also a PhD CSDP fellow at the doctoral school Of the European Security and Defense College. His research focuses on how the EU defense structure has been developed and moreover Andreas is an officer of the Hellenic Navy. He graduated from the Hellenic Navy's Petty Officers Academy as an electrician in 1997. Afterwards he served at warships until 2011 when he was placed at the Directorate of IT and Communications at the Hellenic Navy General Staff. In 2014, he started studying political science and international relations at the University of Peloponnese and graduated in 2018 with distinction. Within the same year, he was repositioned at the Plans and Policy Directorate at the Hellenic Navy General Staff, assuming staff officer duties at the Defense Planning Department. His duties relate to national defense planning, the participation of the Hellenic Navy in the PESCO, the Permanent Structure Cooperation, and the management of a PESCO project led by the Hellenic Navy. Andreas Sophilis also holds a master's degree in global risk and analytics and has earned honorable mention for academic excellence by the chief of the Hellenic Navy twice. This is a very solid profile, Andreas, and uh, if you allow me, I would also say that this uh, expertise puts you at an ideal position where you can comment on both the practical and theory, yet also the policy-related tools with regards to our topic for this episode. Now, could you please begin by sharing with us your own insights and an overview, perhaps, of the existing dynamics within the EU defense structure and composition? And also, to add to that, if possible, I would like you to tell us a little something about both the supranational and intergovernmental aspects of what it means for EU member states to be part of such a defense structure. Yes, Petros.
0: The way in which the European defence structure has gradually developed is inherently linked with how the EU appears in uh, international politics. For many years, the EU's view as a civilian power had been prominent. This notion stood for the prominent role of economy and trade within the international environment. In that respect, military capabilities were not taken as necessary as long as civilian forms of action could effectively influence the international system. Later on, the the international role of the EU was described as a normative power to denote that the EU consistently promotes and supports the normality in its international relations. In a nutshell, the normality derives from the grounding principles of the EU, meaning the promotion of peace, liberty, the rule of law, and human rights. Hence, the notion of the normative power seems to emanate from the very essence of the EU. But the reality suggests that the contemporary evolutions of the international system overwhelm such somewhat simplified approaches. This is something profound in the EU's global strategy someone can find the elements of very different notions in the strategy. For instance, there are aspects related to the civilian and normality notions, but uh, there are aspects of realpolitik too in the form of principled pragmatism. However, it shall be clarified that principled pragmatism does not mean a rejection of liberal ideals themselves, but the rejection of liberal utopianism. This way, the EU tries to respond to modern challenges, which are multidimensional and complex. To put it differently, the EU has finally understood that different means might be appropriate in different cases. mere economic sanctions and incentives, in other words, sticks and carrots, might be inadequate to deal with specific challenges. That is why hard security and defense capabilities shall support such instruments. As a matter of fact, this is what the EU's integrated approach to modern national challenges denotes. It is the combination of all the available means that the EU has at its disposal. With this in mind, we must pay attention to the gradual development of a dense institutional spectrum in the EU security and defense sector. The creation of the European External Action Service, the European Security and Defense College, the European Defense Agency, and the establishment of the permanent structural cooperation and the European Defense Fund are valid proofs of this gradual development. At the same time, how the spectrum is being developed reveals two discrete, if not opposing dynamics, supranational and intergovernmental the formal denotes that member states have bestowed competencies to supranational entity the commission is the ultimate supranational entity within the eu The governmental aspects exist where member states maintain their capacity to act and decide without referring to its supranational entity the co-presence of these dynamics results from the fact that modern challenges affect horizontal several policy sectors, thus demanding cross-sectoral responses at the EU level.
1: Right. Uh, these are uh, Thank you for these uh, observations and I'm actually glad that you've brought into the discussion some key institutions and agencies part of the defense structure. Uh, some of our listeners may have even never, never heard of these institutions. And for example, our college, the ESDC. And I think conversations and topics like these are ideal in bringing to light such topics, offering uh, additional visibility in key defense sectors. And not only that, but you've also just added that these challenges we are dealing with today are multidimensional in nature. Therefore, the response itself must be cross-sectoral. And I appreciate this, as it actually brings me very conveniently to my uh, next question, which is about the goals that we have within this podcast. So given that this podcast is both focusing on research and policy related aspects in terms of uh, within international politics and specifically if we look at international relations theory how should we begin theorizing these complex dynamics within the eu uh, defense structure would you say there are any helpful theories out there we could begin breaking down for our listeners that can be implemented in order to understand better the EU defense structure?
0: Yes, of course. But uh, we have to bear in mind that theories are not doctrines since they are open to criticism to promote knowledge. Different theories offer distinct insights to capture various aspects of a complicated issue, such as the EU integration process. The European Union is a house in which the foundation have been led, meaning the European communities in its form past, and for which a roof has been raised by means of support in the form of common security and foreign policy, and the CSDP, the common security and defense policy. Nevertheless, there is uncertainty as to the ending of the construction. To better understand the integration process, a part of which is the development of the eu defense structure we shall use suite of tools these tools are the integration theories meaning functionalism neo-functionalism transactionalism federalism intergovernmentalism liberal intergovernmentalism and neo-institutionalism a lot of ism
1: <laughs> absolutely yes
0: <laughs> regardless of various ontological and methodological differences among these theories, we can be parsimonious and highlight their vital elements. Functionalism sees an institution as the result of the function that this institution has to accomplish. In this connection, functionalism argues that domestic elites may prevent this political function because they are motivated by personal aspirations, erotic public policies. Uh, In other words, they seek for re-election. Hence, according to functionalism, international institutions governed by experts could overcome various objects to fulfill individual's needs and promote positive social outcomes. But uh, here's the question who governs the experts. Mm-hmm. This uh, can be found in the debate about the uh, democratic uh, procedures at the EU level. Uh, be that uh, as it may, neo-functionalism, the next and other theory is grounded on two key concepts, the spillover and the transfer of loyalty. Spillover is the process through which integration in a specific policy area is spread to other policy areas. Transfer of loyalty refers to the fact that competing groups and individuals participating in a political community manage to preserve the coherence of their community despite their discrete, if not divergent, interests. This this is because they attach importance to entities placed beyond national states, that is to say, European entities. If factionalism and neo-functionalism represent international relations liberalism in the case of European integration studies, generally speaking, intergovernmentalism is their realist counterpart. According to it, integration is the process of uh, intergovernmental bargain among sovereign states. In a natural, functional-based approaches see integration as a process, while the governmental-based ones as a choice. On its part, institutionalism has been extensively used in political sciences. However, after the Second World War, the rise of uh, behavioralism pushed it back. During the 80s, institutionalism in the form of neo-institutionalism re-emerved. It emphasizes the relative autonomy of political institutions, possibilities for inefficiency in history, and the importance of symbolic action to an understanding of politics. It sees institutions as formal or informal procedures, routines, norms, and conventions embedded in the organizational structure of a polity, the main research question of an institutional analysis focuses on how institutions affect individuals' behavior. Generally speaking, neo-institutionalism has significant similarities with constructivism in the case of IR theories.
1: Yes, I I like this um, comparison that you've drawn, and I also agree that. Essentially, we we do use different theories to understand different events. And there are also tools, as you've mentioned, suited for certain purposes. And there are some striking similarities, but also differences between them. Myself, I often like to approach theory more critically in this sense, in order to best appreciate the situation. But without necessarily departing from theory completely, we often see how theory itself cannot always fully capture what happens in the world. You've just you mentioned it yourself, they are theories themselves. They are uh, not doctrines. And uh, for this very reason, I want to ask you how from an operational standpoint and given your also your military background and expertise, to what extent do you feel that theory differs? From reality in real life applications of such existing dynamics within the EU defense structure.
0: As uh, we already mentioned, theories do not offer a magic key that can help us find the total truth of the universe, especially in the broader field of social science. And uh, we shall not neglect that political science and international relations, as a subfield of the former, are social sciences in their very nature. From this point of view, theories offer us a lens to better catch up with complex real-life phenomena. They help us to understand developments that occurred in real life. Some theories may be more normative, offering suggestions for achieving a set goal. Other theories may carry predictive elements that help us sketch up scenarios for the future. But at the end of the day, we shall not neglect that theories are not doctrines different theories may set light on different angles of a subject under consideration. To illustrate the point, let us focus on the case of PESCO, the Permanent Structured Cooperation. Its structure is intergovernmental, meaning that member states decide on their own will to participate in a project or not. Besides, member states set up these projects. So a member state chooses to set up a project, and their colleagues decide to join it or not. This process can be better analyzed through the lens of uh, intergovernmentalism. And it's core argument that uh, integration is a choice materialized through intergovernmental bargains. But the member states do not do it in a vacuum. They do it with an EU framework. This framework delineates what the objective of the projects shall be. Moreover, this framework offers funding opportunities by the European Defence Fund. The latter is a supranational instrument insofar that the Commission, the supranational entity of the EU manages it and the Union's budget feeds the fund. Briefly, the EDF illustrates the growing involvement of the Commission in the area of defence, Neo functionalism can offer valid explanations of why this involvement occurs. It results from a functional spillover effect. Owing to the fact that industrial cooperation had not been achieved for many years, the Commission used its competencies on internal market issues and its power in the economic field to push for a more functional European defense industry and market. Now, Given that participation in PESCO grounds on relevant national views and is subject to time-consuming national procedures, the tangible progress of many PESCO projects has been slow until now. In other words, some projects seem to be dysfunctional. In this vein, it can be argued that it will not be unlikely for the Commission to challenge PESCO's governors if further limitations and inadequacies are identified. Hence, intergovernmentalism can be used to shed light on why the member states joined a PESCO project. In turn, institutionalism can inform us how the participating member states might, might be influenced by joining these projects. And neo-functionalism can help us understand how the Commission might be involved in fields previously concerned are still intergovernmental.
1: You are listening to an episode of the Diplomatic Academy, The Conversation. The conversation series discusses issues of interest in the academic and policy-making world. It focuses primarily on politics and international affairs, diplomacy and culture, technology and security, as well as on ongoing developments in the Eastern Mediterranean. This podcast is run and managed by the Diplomatic Academy at the University of Nicosia with the help and support of MediaZone, University of Nicosia. Yes, I I see your points. And again, it's very good to uh, feed back into this discussion of using different tools to highlight different situations unraveling, of course, with the limitations that you've also uh, highlighted. Uh, But now my next question is actually derived from an institutional point of reference. Uh, As far as I understand, it is commonly accepted that the EU has started, of course, uh, developing its hard capabilities in recent years, but what are the main features of this development and how would potentially affect the relations of the EU and NATO?
0: The EU uh, has started to develop these hard capabilities through developing defense planning process. Uh, defense planning can be defined as a process aiming to build the future defense apparatus, in other words, the military capabilities, forces and equipment, that a polity or alliance deems necessary to satisfy its ambitions or confront the threats facing it. In this connection, the EU global strategy, the capability development plan, the overarching strategic research agenda, the coordinated annual review on defense fit the process at the EU level. Member States shall use these frameworks to develop their capabilities and make them available to the EU through their respective national implementation plans. The whole process seems pretty similar to the process adopted by NATO. The EU has tried to make it similar in order to at least eliminate duplication of efforts during the defense planning process. However, There are practical difficulties at various levels. Military officers involved in the process have to issue three different plannings, one at the national level, one at the EU, and one for NATO. Therefore, there is a duplication concerning bureaucratic burdens. In addition, the defense planning process at the EU level involves six different EU institutions the European External Action Service, the European Defense Agency, the European Union Union Military Committee, the European Union Military Staff, the Commission and the Council. On the contrary, the the process is conducted just by the Alliance at the NATO level. Then there are differences uh, in the nature of the EU and NATO. The latter, is an international organization of a defense alliance aiming to provide its, member, its members collective defense. But the EU, is it just an international organization? The answer is definitely not. It is a sui generous entity that aspires to introduce itself as a polity rather than just international organization such as many others. Here is where the US worry about the future of NATO. When the EU enhance its hard capabilities in pursuing its autonomy, the US think that uh, its influence at the EU will be diminished. Perhaps a feasible solution will be the development of a European pillar within NATO. What I mean by this is that those EU member states, who, which are also members of NATO, would make their forces available to the EU, and in turn, the EU as a whole offer these forces to NATO. This way, the functional relations of the EU and the alliance will be enhanced, the EU's autonomy will be bolstered, and the neutrality of certain EU member states will be respected. Despite the inherent difficulties of such an effort, it seems to be the best solution in the long term for the EU, the NATO, and their member states. Thank you.
1: This is an interesting argument because, uh, as you've said, so on the one hand, we see the merits in having enhanced capabilities. Yet, on the other hand, we can also highlight some potential concerns on the U.S. side. And, of course, as you've rightly pointed out, we have to take into consideration uh, the neutrality of some member states and how some EU member states are not NATO members. Uh, And at the same time, more enhanced defense capabilities mean Uh, If we do achieve that, this means that we could foster greater involvement in key cooperation agreements and entities. This, of course, includes things like the permanent structure cooperation. Now, to your understanding, what are the problems of member states contributing to the CSDP, yet abstaining from initiatives like PESCO? Yes, uh,
0: this is a very interesting question that uh, relates to the previous one. And uh, leave space for two observations. First, we shall understand that the common security and defense policy contains two discrete uh, elements. There are security and defense. In this connection, some member states seem reluctant to give to get involved in uh, initiatives carrying defense implications. The PESCO is such an easy initiative. Second, we can ask why this uh, reluctance exists. Generally speaking, reluctance can be assigned to either internal or external causes. Internal causes may be constitutional provisions for neutrality or difficulties by national governments to justify involvement in defense initiatives at their internal audiences. On the contrary, such difficulties do not exist in cases where aspects of humanitarian aid are present or uh, commonly accepted threats such as terrorism are to be treated. As for the external causes, they are mainly linked to NATO. As far as NATO is taken as the foundation of collective defence for its members, Some EU member states do not see that investing in defense initiatives outside NATO, even in the EU, will benefit them.
1: I would say that it's quite understandable as to why they would feel like that. Uh, Yet again, of course, it's definitely not the case for each and every member state. But given this, now, if you allow me to ask this uh, final question, and perhaps this might require an even deeper answer from you. Would you like to uh, share a few words about your research progress and now even the more technical aspects of what you're examining?
0: Yes, Petros. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. The case issue of uh, EU defense integration is uh, multidimensional, as uh, we have already discussed. Since uh, it embeds aspects of both security studies and European integration studies. That is why my approach rests on a multidisciplinary view extending from integration studies and risk management to fuzzy logic. To illustrate the point, many researchers and practitioners propose adopting risk management perspectives as an analytical lens for enhancing the effectiveness of decision-making on a variety of security courses as a matter of fact the ongoing strategic compass is grounded on relevant threat analysis however the limited ad- adoption of this approach in various degrees and security studies contradicts that risk management has been an excellent method for assessing political risk for years in this vein my study aims to contribute to ongoing efforts towards multidisciplinary approaches in integration and security studies. The research aims to shed light on specific aspects that interlink the EUs and its member states macro level with the micro level of the individuals involved in the relevant processes and contribute to shaping national views regarding the EU defense Integration. The research analyzes the trends of the EU defense structure development and uh, identifies the subsequent risks and gains that national states take into account uh, vis a vis this process. The methodology adopts a set theoretic approach. Its foundation lies in examining various official. European documents associated with the EU defence concept. The examination captures the institutional evolution of the EU on the defence sector and its future trends by studying relevant documents from the introduction of the Common Foreign and Security Policy in 1992 to November 2099, when the Council adopted. 13 more projects to be undertaken under PESCO. The examined documents are categorized into four dimensions, political, economic, organizational, and military, which uh, all together co-formulate the whole EU defense edifice, following the central hypothesis that uh, deep preparation in one dimension may be spread to the rest due to the spillover effect. Moreover, these documents are assessed about their supranational and uh, intergovernmental connotations. The research subscribes to fuzzy logic since documents under examination may contain provisions for more than one of the fortified dimensions and the two connotations. Fuzzy logic moves far away from the dualist Aristotelian logic as it embeds a a multi-valued approach To precisely depict complex situations. So, every document is fragmented into phrases, and graded memberships are assigned through content analysis based on the concepts of modus ponens and modus tollens. This process creates a table containing the graded memberships of each document. It uh, also feeds a multivariate time series analysis that reveals the EU defense structure development trends. Regarding the investigation of national perspectives, Greece is used as a representative case of a state facing many aspects of modern security concerns in a turbulent environment. By studying the case of Greece, one can deduce analogous conclusions for any other EU member state following similar methodology even If no country is exactly like any other, the national perspectives come from uh, in-depth interviews following risk identification techniques. The interviews are conducted with experts, uh, that is to say officials, politicians, and academics involved in handling relevant relevant issues, and potential future experts, meaning students at relevant universities, and candidates to track their stances uh, against the identified trends. All in all, the research contributes at four levels. As for the European integration studies, the research aims to contribute to the literature of neo-functionalism by examining the spillover effect within different aspects encompassed in the EU defense structure. A byproduct of the research may complement institutional literature by clarifying the extent that uh, the established European institutions intervene in forming national perspectives on the defense sector. This byproduct will come off by comparing the findings from interviews with experts who have already been involved in EU defense issues To students of political science and international relations with no relevant experience in the field yet. Then, it is the adoption of uh, risk management perspectives in dealing with specific complex issues, such as the EU defense degradation. In this vein, degradation theories can be used to delineate the risk analysis context uh, comprehensively. Apart from the scientific contribution the research aspires to have a broader impact this is because it can provide decision makers and anyone interested in the subject in question with a valuable lens to revamp national and EU understanding about the development of the EU defense structure. This
1: is a very exciting approach very uh, it seems that you have a lot of work in your hands as well uh, but I'd like to say at this point, uh, thank you so much, Andreas, because this has been a very good chat, a great conversation. I am glad we get to do more discussions like this one in the future at the CSDP doctoral school as well and beyond. Thank you so much for your time, and it was great hosting you to this podcast. Thank
0: you, you very much. Thank you for hosting